We're going to start a series tonight on the Holy Spirit and His gifts because that's always uh, exciting and uh, necessary. And there's a lot going on in the evangelical community right now regarding uh, issues like this, and uh, and that's where the Lord has directed us. So let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for this gathering of your saints. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of the world and into service, and that we're um, in you, in Jesus Christ, and that we're in fellowship with one another. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would uh, teach us, you would lead us and guide us, uh, that our hearts would be filled with the wonder of your love, that we would understand grace a little bit better than when we came in and be gracious ourselves. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. When folks call the church asking for information about what we believe, 99% of the time what they really want to know is what we believe about the exercising of certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. When I was younger and less intelligent, I uh, used to, people would say, hey, tell me a little bit about the church, and I, had, I would launch into like a 15-minute overview of, of how the church started and Calvary Chapel and all this. It was really actually pretty good. And then I'd get to the end of that, and, and they'd say, so uh, what do you think about tongues? And, and then we would talk about that. And, and, and I learned pretty early, you know, after a while that that's all anybody really cared about when they were asking that question is, what do you think about the gifts of the Spirit? People have very strong opinions with regards to this subject, and uh, I'm sure some of you do as well. And the opinions normally fall into one of two, I want to call them camps, because people seem to be comfortable camped out over there. Either they are cessationists, and those are people we believe, uh, who believe certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to function in the church. So we call them, uh, and they call themselves cessationists. It's not a derogatory term. And then there are charismatics in the sense that they believe certain gifts of the Holy Spirit must function in almost every meeting of the church. Uh, obviously, these are broad brushstrokes of, of what people believe. But, but if you've been around churches for a while, you'll kind of consent that, yeah, there's, there's people who just are uh, uh, adamant that certain gifts have ceased, and, and they, some of them go pretty far into telling you uh, if you exercise any of those gifts, you might even be demon-possessed. And then there's charismatics who think that, well, you know, where, where was prophecy? Where was tongues at that meeting? I didn't see any moving of the Holy Spirit at all at that meeting. There was no evidence to me that God's even in your midst. I always answer that we believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available and operational in the church today, but that they must be exercised decently and orderly. Uh, and then both of those people don't like us. Uh, that they, because, you know, it just doesn't work for anybody. Since we believe all the gifts continue throughout the church age, we are properly referred to now as continuationists. I don't like it. I can hardly say it, but we are continuationists. Just about every possible question a person might have about this issue is answered somewhere in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And while even I want to get to what we might consider the more exciting stuff, it'd be wise for us to take the chapters in order uh, and answer all the questions as we go. By way of introduction, however, tonight, I do want to spend some time discussing why we feel the cessationist approach is flawed. Now, I'm not singling out cessationists over charismatics. We will have lots to say about charismatic errors and excesses along the way. 
The cessationist argument needs answering at the outset, at the beginning, because if you think certain gifts have ceased, it's going to radically affect your understanding of these chapters. I mean, it just is. So if you come, if you come to the Bible, if you come to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 with an understanding that, hey, I, I don't, some of these gifts don't exist anymore, they're not operational in the church, uh, then you're going to have a hard time going through those chapters or you've already made up your mind. And so I want to deal with a, a couple of things, now, obviously not everything, uh, but just a, a few things. And by way of clarification, the cessationists argue that certain so-called sign gifts, usually they're called the sign gifts, have ceased, and they typically mean speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healings, and miracles. Those are the gifts that they take issue with and say, hey, they don't belong in the church anymore. Now, one of the main arguments, I'm going to try and be as fair as possible. I hate it when people take secondary arguments and act like they're the main thing. So as much as possible, I've reviewed a lot of literature, and I'm trying to take the main arguments, the real arguments that a real sincere cessationist would have. And one of them uh, that's leveled against all the gifts continuing is a historical argument. Cessationists either do not find anything written about the sign gifts after the first century, or they find ancient texts by Christian writers which say that the sign gifts did indeed cease. And so their argument is when you look at church history, uh, especially after the first century, you either find no mention of the gifts or... Um, you find uh, uh, writers who argue that the gifts actually have ceased. Now, the problem with that, one of the main problems with that is the Internet uh, because you can search the Internet and pretty easily find that that's just not true. Now, I'm not saying that cessationists are lying or that they're trying to deceive you. It's usually something they've heard from somebody before them and somebody before them. And, and, and these are things you need to research out. So when somebody says, well, there's nothing, you know, church history says this. Two things. Number one, there's a sense in which we don't care 100% what church history says because there's a lot of weird stuff in church history just like there's a lot of weird stuff today. I mean, imagine... A, 2,000 years from now, if that were possible, if we, you know, if we were still, if, you know, if the rapture hadn't happened and all that, and, and 2,000 years from now, if people looked back and they you know, got some quotes from some of the Christians that are in the news today and said, well, this is what Christians believed in you know, 2014, it'd be kind of weird. So, so the historical argument is sketchy anyway, but the truth is you find many references that establish that all the gifts continued. You can find solid references in early Christian literature throughout the centuries that refer to the continuation of the gifts. For example, Augustine is a big name that we hear all the time. If you do any reading, he's an important theologian, uh, I think around the 400s. And uh, he's almost always cited and quoted as teaching that certain gifts ceased. However, later in his life, he actually changed his beliefs and he wrote about gifts of the Spirit and that they did exist, and this is usually overlooked or ignored. Again, not because people are trying to deceive you. I, I, I wouldn't accuse anybody of that. It's just out of ignorance because, well, let me ask you this. 
I just quoted Augustine. I haven't read Augustine's works. I don't know what he said. I'm depending on somebody telling me what he said. Now, I've read certain quotes on both sides of this so that I, I know that what I'm telling you is true, but just be skeptical about a historical argument. When somebody says, well, you know, nobody ever believed this in church history, um, that's usually not the case. It's just that we're not reading exhaustively on church history to know what's true and what isn't true. And um, that's, again, the problem with citing history uh, because you never know what might be out there that you've missed. So church history does not unequivocally support cessationism. No doubt there were some cessationists, but there have always been quite a few continuationists. So, you know, it's interesting about church history. It's just like today. It's, it's the same thing happened in church history that's happening today where there were two sides where some said, oh, we don't need these gifts, they've ceased, uh, and others say, no, they continue. And so the historical argument against continuation of the gifts fails. Uh, in the end, it's just like today. There are biblical arguments, <clears throat> and one of the main ones is that certain gifts were given only to the first century apostles in order to authenticate their preaching. Now, this one makes sense on the surface because the, you know, the, the New Testament wasn't put together yet, and these guys, you know, Paul and Peter and James and all, they were going around preaching the word, and they were authenticating their preaching with signs and wonders. And so that, the teaching is that these particular gifts uh, belonged either to them or to that era. Now, one problem with that approach is a passage like this. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. I'll read it. I think it's on the screen. <clears throat> now, you are the body of Christ and members individually, talking to the gathered church. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, I wholeheartedly agree that apostles and prophets were specially gifted men in the first century tasked with building the church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and that there are no apostles and there is no office of prophet today. I would cite two references in the book of Ephesians as a proof text. No one knows what that was. We don't care. It's, it's the guy that lives under the stage. <clears throat> uh, in Ephesians, Paul said the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then he said, a couple chapters later, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Now, you put those thoughts together and, and add some other scriptures from different places, and you see that the apostles and the prophets began the building and the work is now carried out by evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So I have no problem with that. There are no apostles today, not by the first century definition that would require an apostle to what? To have seen the risen Christ. 
It's popular today for people to kind of shock you and say, well, there are modern-day apostles, and then they show you the Greek meaning of the word that it means missionary or messenger, and so every missionary, they say, is really an apostle. But we're talking about apostle with a capital A, where, where the guys after Pentecost, they said, we need to replace Judas, and to be an apostle with a capital A there are certain requirements. And one of them was you had to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Not just be a Christian. You had to actually see the Lord risen from the dead. That's why Paul qualifies as a capital A apostle and others. So there are no apostles today. And there are no prophets speaking forth the word of God. We'll see that there is a gift of prophecy still available to us, but that is different from an office in the church where someone is speaking the word of God, where you would say that person is a prophet. So no, no capital P prophets, no capital A apostles. Now having said that, I don't know about you, but I don't see anything in that passage that we read that limits things like miracles, healings, and tongues to the apostles or the prophets. Uh, quite the contrary, Paul seems to be saying that there are or were apostles and prophets and teachers. There would also be folks who had one or more of the other gifts listed, folks who did not have the gift of being an apostle. And so the clear reading of that scripture is that, hey, there's some prophets, there's some apostles, there's teachers, there's people with the gift of tongues, there's people with healings and stuff. And so you just, it's just all out there available to the church. Cessationists try to tweak the biblical argument by saying certain gifts may have been exercised by non-apostles, but they had a shelf life or a built-in stopping point. One such argument leveled against the gift of speaking in tongues is based on the verbs in 1 Corinthians 13.8. And this is an argument by probably the leading proponent of cessationism today, right out of his commentary. Uh, let me first read 1 Corinthians 13.8. It says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so this leading cessationist pastor writes, and he says, though we are told here that all three gifts would someday cease to exist, two different verbs are used to indicate their cessation. Prophecy and knowledge will be done away, whereas tongues will cease. Done away means to reduce to inactivity or to abolish. The gifts of prophecy and knowledge will one day be made inoperative. Cease means to stop, to come to an end. The cause comes from within. It is built in. God gave the gifts of tongues a built-in stopping place. Like a battery, it had a limited lifespan. Not an energizer battery either, by the way. One of those cheap batteries you get at the dollar store because it faded out as far as he's concerned. Okay, so if that's even true, if it were true, when was tongues set to run out of juice? So the argument is, I've read the passage, I'm smart, I see the verbs, there's a change in verbs, and this means to me that tongues has a built-in stopping point, so when is that stopping point? Well, there is no passage in the Bible to substantiate a particular time that tongues would cease. So all the arguments as to when it supposedly did cease are extra-biblical, they are logical, they are theoretical. And that's, uh, if you read all the arguments following his analysis, that's, that's what they are. He says, well, here's some. For example, he says, uh, he writes, it is reasonable to believe that tongues have ceased 
because their use is mentioned only in the earlier New Testament books, most of the books, in fact, do not mention it. Other cessationists pick up on this, and they do things like list the writings of Paul in chronological order to try to show that his references to various gifts diminish over time. Therefore, they conclude, so did those gifts, or else they say Paul would still be mentioning them. And so the argument, and I don't want to make light of it, but their argument is you don't read too much about tongues later in the New Testament or later in the writing, so therefore it must have passed off the scene because it had a built-in stopping point. We don't know when it was, but it's clear that they're gone now. And I'd say to that, really? That's an argument? Because it's not a very good one. It reminds me of our Church of Christ brothers and sisters who argue that there must be no musical instruments in the church because why? They're not specifically mentioned in the New Testament. Ooh. Well, I guess we can't have guitars in the church because there's no mention of guitars in the New Testament. And you know what? That actually makes more sense than a diminishing reference. The fact that tongues is mentioned as a gift and it's explained and you're told how to exercise it, but later on in the New Testament it's not mentioned so we don't do it anymore, that makes less sense than finding things that aren't mentioned at all. And so it's not a good argument. With regard to speaking in tongues, because that's what's on the table in this argument, it was after Paul wrote the passage saying tongues would cease that he wrote an entire chapter 1 Corinthians 14, on the proper exercise of tongues in the church. And in that chapter, he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, which is a very important statement when we get to the gift of tongues. It means that not everybody does. He wished everybody did, but not everybody does. There's a teaching among charismatics that everyone can have the gift of tongues because it's, even though Paul says he wished everybody did, they say, well, he means everybody can, they just don't know it. But he means what you know, not everybody can do it. He says, look, here's, here's some thoughts about tongues. Now I'm going to tell you how to exercise it because I wish everybody spoke in tongues. Why would he wish they all spoke with tongues and instruct them how to exercise the gift if it was almost out of juice, if it was running out of energy? Not all scholars would agree that you should base such a tremendous, far-reaching conclusion on a verb or its tense. I've learned over the years because, you know, I've told you before, I'm not a Greek scholar. I mean, you don't need to really figure that out, right? I'm not a scholar at all, but I'm not a Greek scholar. And so a lot of times when I, I used to say, well, in the Greek, it says this. And, and that's true, but now I try and qualify. I either don't mention the Greek language or I say, scholars say that in the Greek because, you know, you have to have a reference point. And so I, not every, every time you hear somebody say, well, in the Greek, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's like the an argument, it's like when your, your dad said, that's it, that's the end of the argument, you know, there's no, he's not taking any more input on, on what he, you're trying to ask. And so when people say, well, the Greek says this, you think, oh, well, you know, I bow to the Greek, because if the Greek says it, then that's the way it is. And so the argument here is that the, the word cease means this. Well, here's a real Greek scholar Gordon Fee, a renowned scholar, he says, some have argued that the change of verbs with tongues has independent significance as though this meant tongues might cease before prophecy and knowledge. But just as one can scarcely distinguish between cease and pass away in English when used in the same context, neither can one distinguish between the Greek words used in the same context. In other words, he says, in a really nice way, yeah, that's just wrong. 
There's no reason to believe that, that this one word has so much meaning uh, and then is never explained. And so he just says that's, uh, that's, first of all, we don't see it as a good logical argument. And he said it's not even a good biblical argument. Paul was not making some huge announcement about the cessation of a gift by choosing a particular verb tense. He just wasn't. Or at the very least, we can't say without a doubt that he was. And so that, that puts that to rest. Here's another cessationist argument. Cessationists like to stress that speaking in tongues was a lesser gift anyway because it didn't build up others in the church service that it was selfish. First of all, who are we to qualify any of the gifts the Holy Spirit might offer? It seems a little rude. I mean, doesn't it? If, the whole, if you say, Holy Spirit, I'd like, I'd like you to give me some gifts. Give me the gifts that you want me to have. I'd like you to have the gift of tongues. Yeah, that's a lousy gift. Can I have something better, something, you know, a little bit more, you know, manly or, or whatever and stuff? And I, it's just rude. Um, but second of all, let's look at the charge that speaking in tongues doesn't build up others. And again, this is a real argument. It's a major argument that you find in almost every cessationist writing. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, <clears throat> he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Point for the cessationists? Well, hardly, because you have to read the next verse. He says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so Paul agrees that speaking in tongues by itself does not build up others unless it is exercised with a corresponding gift of interpretation, in which case it is equal in effect with prophecy and all the other gifts. Do you follow that? And so, yeah, if, I, if I'm just speaking to myself in tongues to bring attention to myself at a meeting of the church, nobody's built up. But Paul says, that's why I'm correcting you and telling you what it really is and how to properly exercise, because when it's properly exercised and people can understand what's being said... Then, then you've got a gift, Some, you know, then you're being built up. And so, again, so that argument fails. There are a lot of other cessationist arguments. These really are some of the main ones, and my point is to show that none of them strikes a fatal blow for continuationists like us. When you listen to these cessationist guys talk, and we respect them, we love them, they're, they're believers, but when you listen to them talk, you think, th th you know, that they, they have proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that these sign gifts passed off the scene long ago and that you're some kind of crazy person if you want to believe that they still exist. But when you look at their arguments, they're real arguments, they're historical arguments, they're biblical arguments, um, they just don't hold water. Now, over the years, I've noticed that people usually have a background and that their background is a stronger influence on their behavior sometimes than the Bible. One time while teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I read the words of 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 3. There Paul says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now, anybody can see that the words clearly state that when you speak in tongues, you are speaking to God, not 
to men. You speak for God to men through the gift of prophecy. That, that's, that's just the words themselves. That's what they say. Clear as that may be, one man took issue with me and was visibly upset. You see, he had grown up in a charismatic church where people would speak in tongues and then the tongues would be interpreted as God having a message to men. And so somebody would jump up and speak in tongues, you know, in, the, in this utterance in tongues, and then someone else would say, thus says the Lord, uh, my judgment is coming, or I love you with an everlasting, or whatever. And, and because he had grown up in that tradition, week after week, year after year, his understanding of the exercise of the gift of tongues was that it was God speaking to men. And when you read in the Bible, it says, no, it's, it's you speaking to God. He just wouldn't, he, he couldn't change his mind about it. It, it. He was visibly upset about it. And he never would agree with what the Bible said because his background and his tradition was a stronger influence on his behavior than the Bible. And I like to think that my background, whether it's, a, a, you know, Roman Catholic or when I was an agnostic or when I was an existentialist, or what, I'd like to think that my background doesn't have any bearing, that I'm a completely, you know, uh, Lord, just show me, you know, and I, you know, a, but every one of us brings baggage to the Bible. And so we need to be very careful. That's why we have to read the words themselves and try to understand what the words say without reading ourselves into the text. Otherwise, our tradition becomes a stronger influence than the Bible. And so as we go through this series, I'm asking you to ignore your tradition, even if it's Calvary Chapel, and let the word speak for itself. Search these things out and base your conclusions only on God's word and not on the traditions of men. I'm not saying you can't study or you can't look things up or listen to the arguments of other teachers or anything like that. I'm just saying we have to be really careful in this area especially, but in all areas, to try and as much as possible let the word of God really minister to our hearts without um, preconceived traditions and notions that uh, would color us. And in the end, if we disagree, which we will, I don't know about us, you know, we could all be on the same page, but we are not going to solve the problems that cessationists and charismatics have, not, not by a long shot. But if we disagree and as we disagree, let's do it agreeably as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, because these issues, important for sure, but secondary. Uh, I can have fellowship with people who think that speaking in tongues has ceased, and I can have fellowship with people who think speaking in tongues has to happen all the time or that everybody should have that. We can have honest disagreements about that without accusing each other of anything. Uh, and, and that's kind of rare. Um, it's called, I, I think in the literature, they call it irenic. It means let's be peaceable one with another in these secondary issues. Important issues, we want to get a handle on them. We teach them a certain way. We have our own understanding, that's great. But we're not saying that anyone else is, well, we might be saying they're wrong in certain areas. We're not saying they're not Christians, that we don't want to have fellowship with them or that they're doing anything evil uh, on purpose. Understood? So let's, and, and if you disagree, let's just disagree agreeably uh, and go on loving Jesus, amen? All right.